but the game was different, right? The the, the rules was different. The ball oh, was the Euro, different. The Euro, the Euro style is different in America. The Euro style was a lot different in America. <laughs> That's the Especially, first time y'all seen that Euro step too, huh? Absolutely. Hi, my name's Neil Hopkins, um, the head coach of Mysco College Basketball Academy in the United Kingdom. Roughly, how many players have you helped get to college in the USA? <laughs> Roughly. I don't know. Um, since since I started, obviously in the early years, it was, you know, I've been doing this now, coaching at, you know, within the age group that I coach now for about 10 to 12 years. Uh, initially, it was like, you know, one here, one there. Um, mm -hmm. But now, like last year, for instance, it was, you know, there's five, you know, we're, we we look for five out of each group, um, you know, to help progress across. So I don't know now, like 30 plus, I would say, you know, like okay. you know, something, something around that, you know, a lot over the years for how many years I've been doing it. And it's been, it's not necessarily been direct as well, like out of our program, it's been guys that have wanted, you know, help and assistance or contacts or stuff nice. like that yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I've, I've always been someone that's, you know, if people reach out, obviously you want to try and help as much as possible. Um, so that's happened as well. Like, you know, there's no reason to drop any names in there, but yeah, like, you know, not enough, but um, enough yeah. enough to have some experience with it. Um, I, yeah, I think the program's placed really well now after, you know, seven, eight years to be able to, to do that. Obviously we have the talent, you know, on the systems and structure that's in place to help them progress into that route. But I think now is, you know, you probably, if you ask me this in a few years time, I think the volume will probably be, you know, quite considerably higher year on year. Okay, okay. Um, and it's always, especially for, as I said, for those that don't know who you are, um, you know, if they're living under a rock or whatever, or, you know, don't have any, um, electrical devices um it's just always nice to know like okay this guy must know what he's talking about if he's seen quite a few guys go across um why uh why do you think that u.s basketball system is preferential um for european players the culture um you know number one I think the big thing for, a, 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 if you're talking solely about British and UK based players, obviously it's, uh, you know, we look West anyway, um, you know, and, and I think that that, our influences within basketball are built from America. Um, typically, you know, guys, you know, if I look at the academy, for instance, I take that as a sample, they're not really watching a lot of Euroleague basketball, uh, unfamiliar with European basketball. We've tried to change that with, you know, the incorporation of the European Youth League and giving them that taste and that's really helped. And that's another question that we'll, you know, we'll come on to. Um, but typically they look to that direction. They look to the culture. Obviously basketball in America is up there as, you know, number one, number two sport. Um, you know, it's pretty high up there. And then, Aside from the cultural stuff, obviously you have the the academic package as well, and, and I think that that is really really appealing to guys and girls that want to progress over to America to potentially have that, you know, two hundred thousand dollar, you know, whatever it is, scholarship that provides you with a, you know, an outstanding education. Hopefully, um, that you are you know that you're then in possession of purely through your skills as a basketball player. Mm. I think another thing we 
over here in England. Um, are, I know there's been some some podcasts and bits and pieces recently, you know, especially during the lockdown period about why more players don't progress from uh, academy structure or junior structure into our professional leagues. Uh, at the moment, that package isn't appealing or appealing enough for enough people. Um, you know, when you compare it to the European structure. So the natural transition for a lot of people is, you know, to go to America. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of should, you know, answer the, answer the question. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I, I do think that, um, and they say the gap, <clears throat> sorry, they say the gap's closing and I, you know, I, I do in certain respects. Um, but I mean, basketball aside, free education is free education. Do you know what I mean? If, if you, you know, if you're in England and you're spending um, 30 grand a year or getting yourself in, you know, 30 grand a year debt um, to do your um, bachelor's, you know, that's 90 grand after three years, or you can go and experience a different culture, play a sport, whatever and have zero debt at the end of it, do you know what I mean? So, so yeah, I think for me, that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, can you break down the type of players uh, that you sent to college basketball or to play NCAA? Yeah, like, um, I mean, if you want some, interestingly for us, guys that, you know, typically, and this is the same with the girls that have gone as well, um, you know, they're typically bigger players. Um, so, you know, that is one def, you know, 100% a common theme. Um, the guard, the, the, the smaller guards that have gone have typically been, you know, uh, an expert or have been at very high level or one or two skill traits. So, for instance, if someone's looking for a shooter, um, you know, or someone's looking for, a, you know, a standout ball handler, you know, as an example. But typically, you know, we're talking bigger wings, stretch fours, fives. You know, height height is you know one of the most. You know, if, if if I get a call from college coaches, they're interested in height. Height, you know, height, and that's um, that's something that's I I don't think that that's really evolved as much as it could have done. You know, taking into consideration the likes of Doncic, I know he's obviously big, but he gave he validated um, the technical ability. Of European player, like you know, on a on a, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. big stage, and actually, if you look at the style of European basketball, I do think that the UK still we tend to have more of an American style, you know, definitely, and and an American style. I'm talking about the collegiate style. I think the uh, the the NBA style is different to the collegiate style. Um, I think now that the what might you might start to see is. The trickle down from the NBA into the into the college, and you know now people in terms of recruitment, the evolution of I want to recruit height, size, and athleticism is now starting to change to I want the height, yeah, but I want to make sure skilled. that they're technically skilled, efficient. You know they can do a lot of things. They can shoot in particular, like that is you know really something that's very important is their ability to shoot um, because people in terms of their offensive systems that's starting to evolve. And, you know, the game is becoming much more perimeter based. So if you're not able to shoot, you, you're, you're, limiting, it, a, yeah. you're limiting a team's offense. Um, so, yeah, that's what I've seen, like some of the, the trends and traits I've seen. Okay. Um, real quick, I, I was praying 
that the Houston Rockets didn't win um, the NBA because that like all the big guys, anyone over six eight would have been out the door. You know what I mean? If you could win an NBA championship with your tallest player being six seven, yeah, I think yeah, all the NBA teams would have done it and then trickled down and. So that would have been definitely interesting. So I'm, I'm glad it didn't. Um, is there a specific position? Oh, you kind of touched on that. Um, you know, you said the the, the forwards and the centers. Um, what processes are involved in getting a player to the States? So are you, are you talking process in terms of the player or process in terms of the coach? Uh, the player, we'll get to the coach in a bit. Okay, so like I broke, I broke it down like two kind of facets. Mm -hmm. So one is um, you know building your your academic profile. Nice. So you know like that is the, the I think is the primary thing because without that academic stuff, if you're looking at the American route, with you know you, the academic situation is going to dictate the level. It's going to dictate you know whether you're a qualifier, whether you're eligible. It's going to dictate or pretty, pretty much everything, you know, the academic situation. So number one, understand where you are academically. So for instance, we, you know, if we a kid joins us after doing their GCSEs or the equivalent of what they might be doing at 16 years old or 18 years old, for instance, graduation of high school, they need to know where they are academically. A lot of kids will come in, you know, maybe that they've, you know, they've not got a maths or the English or they've not got a social science or, you know, they've not covering the core requirements they won't realize that. And then they potentially realize that two years down the line when they're completing the, you know, the clearinghouse eligibility center. Now, what do I do? So the first thing that I say is, um, you know, understand where you are academically as that will dictate everything. So how do you do that? Um, you know, number one, you should be up to date and au fait with the international uh, guidance. So you can get that from the NCAA website. You just type in international, you know, eligibility or international uh, academic guidance, and it comes up with a huge dossier of, you know, what you need from each country. So, for instance, the United Kingdom is built on a three-tier system. In the NCAA perceives it as a three-tier system. You need to know that. You need to know how each tier builds on each, and what you need through each tier to ensure that you are eligible because if you skip a tier or if you underachieve on a tier yeah. you're you're not going to be able to build up to the next one and that's going to impact you so you know that's something that you need to know right away and i'm not the one that's going to sit here and go this is what this means and this means and this means it's plain in sight if you can't read the document I've, I'm, I'm gonna have a shameless plug so we're in season two now so season one dropping today the 18th of December, I sit down with an NCAA compliance officer. So go back and check it and we go through all the stuff. So continue. There you go. There you go. So go back to season one episode, what was it, 18? Uh, no, it was 18. Episode back. 10, yeah. But yeah, so <laughs> you're asking me about compliance and international guidance. Go back to, you know, go back to these, uh, the podcast and you'll find out from the person that knows much more than I do. A lot so, more, man. <laughs> crazy, right? So and once you're in that situation where you know where you are, um, you know, with regards to the, the international guidance, obviously then I would suggest that you start to process or put in, you know, and sort out clearing house, eligibility center, because that's going to give you, a, you know, a, a to-do list 
Um, you know, and it doesn't really matter how early that is. Once that profile is built, it's there. And that's going to be something that you can use as a reference to. Again, stu people that do that really late within the process. Number chasing one, what is themselves. Yeah, they're chasing the tail, but also, you know, a school. Okay, so give me your NCAA number. Uh, <laughs> well, if a school has your NCAA number, they can put it in a database. They can check off, you know, what your, you know, your grades are, what your level of achievement is, where you're up to, what you need to do. If you're all, everything's good and, you know, and, and in there, that's going to give them the confidence to pursue it and, Keep you know, yeah. exactly. So, you know, that's, that's a crucial thing. So, you know, go for the eligibility center, build your profile, start to send your grades in, because that's another painstaking task is that you need to get your grades over to them. Um, and that's going to require you to have a conversation with a teacher, a tutor, your school. You might have to get stuff stamped. You might have to get stuff sent off official emails. Um, you know, and again, if you leave someone in a situation where they're doing that late, you leave a school teacher, for instance, in July. Oh, I need you to do this. You know, they might have gone off for the summer and then you're struggling. Yes, the, big facts, so, yes. And the, the also the thing that the NCAA might require is if, say, for instance, you're you're not getting, they use the, the term transcripts all the time. Transcripts, you know, typically is a certificate. If you don't get a certificate of achievement until August, September, because that's when the British exam board public publish it, you might need a cover letter from your school stating what you've got. That is going to need to be built or made by someone, you know, in admin or a teacher or someone in senior management, which could take time. So the sooner you get your stuff in through the clearinghouse, obviously the better. And then once that's in there, obviously, you know, do, trying to do your SAT as early as possible. Um, you know, I know that this year there's the waiver on the SAT, but when that comes back round, um, you know, getting that done as soon as possible because it's a different kind of test. And if you mess it up, you obviously have the potential opportunity to, to do it to again. Go back, yeah. And again, if you leave it late and you get a low score and you don't have turn to time to turn that round, you know, that's going to affect your, you know, the, the balance and scale of SAT versus GPA. So, you know, that's obviously really important. So that's that's the academic profile. I know that I'm going on, but it's, I guess it's, no, it's, kind of yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely what... Um, I, I guess a lot of players don't understand and I think you hit the nail on the head when you're like hey when a school wants you and it's like what's your clearinghouse number what's your you know we need transcripts and everyone's like oh scrambling and you know you're not emailing or phoning your your school oh hey um I need this by you know tomorrow and they're like I have no idea why you want this I have no idea what you need actually or now we've got to process it and now we got to, and they're not you know they're not enamored because it's not a usual a process um and 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 b they're like well i mean he's got his grades it's fine they don't really understand the gravity of the yeah. situation so you know you're going to end up phoning and, and and emailing a whole lot when you if you do that stuff early then you're sitting pretty. So yeah. um, it's, it's yeah, you don't, a lot of kids don't know that until it's too late. They don't know until they're in in trouble. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, you going along, it, it's it's that important. That's why I did the whole episode on compliance because it is yeah. that bigger deal. Yeah, and what we spent, what, five minutes there just talking. We haven't, you've asked me about the steps to get to America and we haven't mentioned basketball. Yeah, no, that's like nonsense. Five, you know, five, six minutes about, you know, understanding where you are academically because, you know, that's the biggest dictator. You know, you could be extremely, extremely talented 
but if you've messed up somewhere academically or you're not pulling your weight you're you know and you don't know how to rectify it it's gonna it's gonna have a huge effect yes and, uh, you know it's that's and i've seen it you know i've seen that firsthand um you know i try obviously very very hard if i isolate those issues early to to rectify them through our processes but some people you know you can take a horse to water you can take an athletic horse to water and uh, <laughs> you know sometimes that athletic horse might 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 drown and, uh, you know <laughs> it is what it is so what can you do as long as you do everything that you can you can do athletic horse a, a, a dinghy or you know what I mean the water wings <laughs> Look, you can throw as many lifelines as you want <laughs> they're just paddling into the deep water <laughs> uh, that's hilarious uh, <laughs> Uh, what, what other process did you have apart from that? Well, uh, so the academic profile, obviously, the second is your your basketball profile. Uh-huh. So going back to the, the the pre-question kind of you know statement that I made is like number one, look at yourself in the mirror, and uh, you know really get an evaluation internally. You know where am I? And then once you've done that, go and speak to some coaches. Go and speak to people that are in the know and listen to what they're having to say don't just look at them and and watch them speak and then not hear them you know like listen to what they're saying on their evaluation of you you know your traits you know where you are you know who you are as a player you know if for instance you're uh, you know a five foot nine guard have a look historically as to how many five foot nine guards have gone over to America, you know, like, and what has been their key themes, you know, what, how is, what has driven them to that level? Obviously it's always easier with someone that's taller, you know, the statistics on, you know, guys that are over seven foot, for instance, and their, you know, percentage of those guys that go into the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, as you get high, taller within basketball, it does become, a little bit easier yeah, for yeah. sure so find out do your research you know speak to speak to your coach and when your coach is speaking to you like i said don't just oh, whatever what i'll do is i'll go and speak to someone else and see if i can get the answer that i want from him you know like you've got to honor that and be honest in that whole process and i think that's one of the biggest things in terms of managing this you know as a, as a coach is balancing you know my expectation or you know what I think versus their expectation, and and not crushing dreams, but being realistic. Um, you know, yeah. and that's really that puts you in a really difficult position as a coach because you don't want to be you know your players that you don't you don't want to be the dream buster. You got to keep it real. Um, but you you don't I don't you know I don't like doing that. But there's always a way. You know, there's always a route. There's people that work in different ways. There's people that you know that just pursue it so hard that eventually they'll find their way. You know. For instance, you don't have to. If you you might be a, a you know an average player that wants a scholarship and end up being a coach, you know that's paid to do it. You know, so there's different ways. And I think at the age of 18, 17, 18, 19, 20, etc., you do become blinkered to your dream, and it is very important that you are, you know, in that situation that you're open, honest, and you take the feedback that you can. So yeah, I don't know if you've got anything that you want to add to that. I mean, I mean, you know, I, guys I, will, I will, I will just say, um, and I'm sure I've said it in one of these already, is that don't label your coach a hater off the rip. I mean, you tell a coach will tell you something. Hey, you're not a great shooter. Like, why are you hating for? Why you know I can like, dude, you can't shoot, man. You you hit the backboard like eight times out of ten, and you made one swish, and now you think you're a certified like shooter. Come on now. I, um, I yeah, I had one on that. Just you know, this is like you know, taking it into 
it's with one of our guys that's been recruited by Montana State this year, mm. Quay Osibor. Um, you know, we run a shoot, like a basic shooting test. We, every, every team does them. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's, uh, we, you know, all it is is five makes from five spots. You know, so you've got to make five before you can move on to the next spot. Timed on this, so how long does it take you to do it? I can't remember his time. I, I think it was like nine minutes, 10 minutes or something. Some of the kids are doing 25 minutes. One of our kids took 40 minutes, considered himself a good shooter. We Jeez. then, I call up Chris Haslam at Montana. I was like, can you get your best shooter to do it? And he's doing it in like two minute 20. I'm saying, right, well, here's the difference. You know, like, so, <laughs> so again, you could you classify yourself as a good shooter, but against what? Against the guy that took 40 minutes, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's again that perspective is is good you know again how would you do that as a young player well if your coach you know might have some connections or something i yes watch the games but also try and get some practice footage of the level that you want to go to so you know junior college or the division one school division two whatever try and get practice footage try and understand you know you you might be in dialogue with a coach uh, and you know who might be recruiting you and he's recruiting you for a certain position well, coach, I do this, you know, shooting test and I do this score. Can you ask your best shooter so I get a benchmark, you know, and, and I can level mm. it off against that. And I think that's something that I would suggest from a basketball standpoint. If you're looking for perspective, mm -hmm. that's important. And that's, before, you know, that's that's before the profile's built, I guess. You know, and I just had on my, on you know, just a couple of notes on the whole profile is, you know, are, do, you, do you have highlights available? Do you have a couple of games available? Games, I try... I, I try and send, um, you know, a really good game, uh, an average game and a bad game. You know, I try and get a balance, not not just to like, you know, send the, the brilliant The 30 stuff. point games. Yeah, that one time, you know, like <laughs> try and get a broad balance of it. Be honest, you know, coaches, I think now are looking for that, you know, a lot more looking for that stuff. So send in a game where, hey coach, you know, I didn't have a great game here, but you'll still see that like, I didn't, you know, for instance, what is a coach looking for in that situation? Is he in, is he or she engaged? How is, how is their, their body language? What are they like on the bench? What are the intangible things they're doing? Yeah, they didn't put up the numbers, but what do they do in terms of impact in the game? And I think that that's still, even in a game, but you don't post numbers, you can uh, obviously get that kind of information. And then, um, so yeah, game tape, you know, build your social media profile, get some references, you know, in terms of from, from some coaching staff that you can attach to your, your, your if you're doing a bio or whatever it may be. In terms of your, your basketball profile, if you can uh, find a way to put all this stuff together, um, you know, you might find, uh, you know, a way to have it all within your social media with it, you know, whether it's on Twitter or something like that. I think coaches typically lend, you know, themselves towards Twitter more than Snapchat, for instance. It's probably not a good idea to have it on, <laughs> on there. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think once you have those two elements, your, your academic profile and your basketball profile, that's when you can start the the uh the joyous task of of contacting, contacting and, and, uh, and reaching out and there's a number of ways in which you can do that some people now would opt to go for a recruitment service um you know but again i don't i'm i don't have the we, that's not something that we've utilized so it's unfair for me to comment on it um you know i, I think obviously people have different opinions on that but if you are resourceful um you can find contacts you know you can go through uh you know websites you can probably even find a way to get a you know a spreadsheet which has all the contacts on if you're you know if you're resourceful um 
But then once you start to know that, you know, you need to start thinking about the division, the level, the area, what the school specializes in. You know, don't just think I'm going to get an America, a scholarship in America, you know, because that you don't, what you don't want to do is end up in the middle of nowhere. Um, end you know, up in, in Alaska. In yeah, in a situation that's worse than the one that you came from, you know, and you want to make sure that you do your, your due diligence and your homework on the potential situation that you're you're walking into. Don't contact every school not knowing anything about the school. That is a bad look. <laughs> make sure you know what's going on with them and make sure you have built a picture in your mind as to what you are potentially signing up for. And another thing as well, like, I think coaches through the recruitment process appreciate it if you personalize some of those emails and those messages versus just a blanket, you know, email to a thousand schools. Yeah, which you forget to take, you know, you do it in the, the, the copy, the CC list and you've got every other contact in the, yeah. And, and that, that works both ways though. Like some coaches in America, I've seen it. I, I think in the last two years, I've been offered a couple of scholarships um, you know, just through guys not having, you know, coaches in America, just blanket emailing out. We're looking for players. Obviously, you know, they're going to want money for that, but we can offer you X amount and what is this? Like, you know, <laughs> no, no, what's happening here. So, yeah, um, that is, that is, hopefully that answers that. It does. Like, it does. Definitely. Um, and that was a nice in-depth um, answer um, in terms of understanding <laughs> The, like academic as well as um, the athletic profile side of it, like the basketball side of it, um, and how to attach it. Um, as I said, I think for me in in all my years, and you can agree or disagree, but I think the academic side is so um, undervalued, like not spoken yeah. about, like no one. And then it's not until the ninth, um, the ninth hour, so to speak, that you know they go, oh crap, like. Man, yeah, I didn't do my ACT. I got to do ACTs. I got to do SAT. Oh my god! Like, like, yeah, there's a lot that you need to do. It's not just, yeah. hey, coach, I can dunk. Sign me up. You yeah, know, coach K isn't calling you because you can do a reverse windmill or whatever. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, great. So from the range of the players that you've helped out, and I yeah, kind of covered it. Um, is there a common skill set? Is there like one thing that everyone's been able to do that you've sent across or has it all been? Not really. The okay. skill, the, no, through positions maybe. Um, you know, like the, the the thing is as well as they rec you know, college coaches recruit a player based on something, but typically it can become something else. It depends on, you know, how many guys that you know that have been great shooters that have left, you know, the situation they're in to go to America to then have their offense restricted, for instance. So it depends on, you know, I, I, like I've seen that, you know, I've, I've had players that have, that have come through that have been great offensively, but then they've become screeners. You know, they've been, you know, their game has been tailored to the offense or the coach or whatever system. So I think usually it's, you know, it's not necessarily about a skill set. Um, obviously, you need to be skilled. But I think moreover, it's it's to do with the durability of the player and, you know, the, the uh, is that player prepared and willing and, and understands how to win? I think that's something that's more, you know, more common. So I would almost argue that yes, skill set is vital, but that can change and adapt when you go over into a new system, new situation or scenario. But the most important thing is that player's resilience, durability, and you know, I think coaches want to know that more than the skill set element. 
If they are recruiting based on skill, yes, they need to be able to shoot. If they're guards, wings, you know, the, the ability to shoot is important and be able to defend through positions. So, you know, can they defend their position, which is all, all through positions. A lot of coaches now over there in terms of their systems, you know, will switch on defense. Switch, yeah. And, you know, if, if you're big and you're not able to defend a guard or a wing, or even at least, you know, attempt it, you know, then that's something that's going to hold you back. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and definitely the personal qualities. Being a competitor, I think, is always the yeah. the number one thing. You know, coaches yeah. can, and I've I, hopefully no coaches take offense if coaches are watching. Um, but I always tell a lot of my young guys that, hey, coaches have big egos and they are more than, you know, the processes, oh, I can get him to a certain level. A coach will always look at a player, oh, I can do this, I can do that. So, or the program can. Mm -hmm. So, what they need from you is that fire, that, you know, that, so now, you know, if you've got that effort and energy and competitiveness, then me as the coach, I can take care of the rest kind of thing. So, yeah, uh, that's probably the, the, the biggest thing, I, I, I believe. 100%. Uh, um, can you suggest why an international player would get recruited over to a domestic? I mean, again, you got to look at uh, you know a number of things. I think that American coaches are getting to, or have begun to have a lot more trust in European players. Um, you know that they've over the years they've there's been like flits and starts of European style and how it fits in over in America but I think now that you see this evolution on the, va the value of skill and uh, some guys over here um, you know are very skillful do the fundamentals very well and you know therefore they fit into systems you know and you know they, they do that exceptionally well I take Matty Ocris, for instance you know who, who went to Drexel you know he was heavily recruited by a number of schools Drexel's been the, the you know a great fit for him and I think that's what the coaching staff perceived and saw. So if your players or if you're sorry, if your coach is looking for someone that has a unique talent or something that fits within their system and they're not able to find that domestically, you've, you know, you're afforded that luxury of recruiting internationally. And, uh, you know, that's that's something that's, you know, I think that, that, that our guys over here have been able to take, you know, full advantage of. Take someone even like, you know, for instance, Amari Williams, 6'11", very good skill set, you know, great passer, good facilitator of offense. How many of those guys are, you know, are knocking about versus how many schools want guys like that? So, mm, you know, yeah. he, you know, he found that, you know, that, that traction again was pretty easy. And then again, you know, people like Great Osabor, who's going up to Montana, we mentioned him before, you know, he's a, a unique player. And again, like how many guys are like that versus how many schools want guys like that? So, you know, if you put yourself on a certain pedestal in terms of your abilities, you know, you're going to find someone that likes the look of you. I think, again, uh, you know, one thing that I have seen recently is a lot of American coaches that I speak to, um, particularly head coaches actually, have, you know, have been messaging saying, oh, you know, what, who do you suggest that I watch? You know, which European team? Who's playing the best, uh, you know, offensive basketball at the moment? Who's who's got the best defensive system? Who can you know tell me? You know, can I watch? I think when guys are in the grind of the season, that might be something that a lot of coaches, particularly would you know, in, in the states, will pull back on because the, the scheduling is so crazy. Mm. But 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 now, through you know, for instance, the my the common theme that I see is maybe there's a COVID outbreak in you know their their school. 
mm-hmm. and the basketball program gets you know like right we're on a two-week break or whatever hey what can i look at what can i because you know to get that bug and that fix so yeah. you know I, I think that the the european flavor is you know and this and the, the element of skill is starting to you know i mean it's not Come starting on. to it's it's becoming more prominent in the game over there and from a british perspective if you look at the amount of players that have gone from britain now obviously you know hoops fix does the list it's so many yeah. you know and, and and the reason being because we we don't have the we don't tie these kids in up pretty you nice know, on professional contracts early they're pretty accessible and easy to get out of here um you know whereas if you look at the other european countries you know obviously you you would have seen this you, you know and in, in, in the time with cba um you know the the highest level talent is being you know contracted, contracted early yeah. Yeah, yeah and you know they're not available you know you, you are you telling me that um you know schools wouldn't take more european players that if they were you know without contract you know that, that falls into the that's in, that falls into our favor as british you know you know but we just have to produce better players that's uh mm. that's, you know at the moment we're not i was having this conversation before literally two hours ago how many british players are there that make five to ten thousand a month in europe yeah, you know yeah. so how but then you know what is it where, where are we going wrong for that to be happening you know what's what part of the system is you know going wrong is it the case that these kids are going to america you know and are not able to come back and ask for that kind of money how, there's, there's literally you know you could probably count 10 you know out of everyone that, you know, out of the 50 that go to america here <laughs> it's it, yeah it is crazy and when you you know kind of put that um that that number out there is yeah it's tough as you know being around the bbl like yourself you know you get a lot of these young guys coming home who are talented and you're like oh yeah you know you can make a thousand pounds a month with with accommodation and a shared car or i mean shared accommodation or yeah we can we can give you 800 plus you coach the rest of the way and you know to kind of top up your salary um and, then, and that's, you know, I think that's a completely different topic um, in terms it of the is. money generated. But yeah, it, it, yeah, it is, it is a, a tough situation. If this is going to be watched by predominantly British players as well, or British people, you know, yeah. the, another, like another interesting, you know, thought that I've had is the three players that I think that we've produced that had the potential to make five to 10,000 a month. None of them were British born and bred. You know, they were international. One was Italian, one was Bulgarian, one was Hungarian. So, and the reason being is the body of work that they've put in at a young age before coming to us is or far outweighs the body of work that British players are putting in before they come to, you know, a situation like ours or the collegiate system. So, you know, like a Hungarian or Hungary, for instance, fundamentals from, you know, the, the word dot, five years old, Italy, five years old, you know, Bulgaria, five years old, you know, really young, focusing on basketball, basketball culture, they build that skill set, that base of fundamentals, uh, you know, and then basically when they come to a program like ours, all we're doing is refining their competitiveness, bulking them up, speeding the game up, and, you know, that translates a lot quicker to... The next level and those uh, you know whereas with all the you know a lot of the british kids what are we doing when they come to us teaching them good practice habits 
fundamental development you know like then we're trying to think about building the body then we're trying to get into the mind to like you know value competitiveness because before they've outcompeted everyone so easily because they have a physical advantage or whatever so you know like it's a, a huge a huge thing that we need to look at in more depth in, uh, mm, in, with, with uh, yeah I, I agree i agree completely um knowing what it takes to be a college recruit can you break down how much work goes into being recruited um from a player's perspective <laughs> from, a co- from a coach's perspective that from a player's perspective so like how much like would you say it's 10,000 hours and you kind of you know you said from five years old but you know obviously they can't go back in time so like if you was to quantify hey you've got to shoot a thousand shots a week or a thousand shots a day or you got to get in the weight room like especially having the program like what does it take for you to be of a level to be recruited for some, for some guys it just takes for you to be big <laughs> <laughs> so like i mean that's one way to look at it <laughs> I, I think the uh, the the main thing is, and it's a really it's a really difficult question because it, it's very difficult for a lot of different people. You know, there's some guys. Um, you know, one a lad that we had called Lewis McLassen, or someone like Callan Lowe, for instance. Like naturally, you know, they they weren't as talented as others, but their their work rate far you know was far superior than you know to someone that was maybe more talented but had the less work rate. However, the, the one with the less work rate might have found a way to America because it's so talented. So I, I think that the, the the question is, or you know, how you should approach that is, do you think that you've done enough to earn it? You know? <laughs> okay. And if if you think you have, you need to get that checked against, you know, the person or the people that know you best. And you know, if they look to you and look you in the face and say, No, I don't, I don't think you have done enough, then you need to keep working. Um, so I I think it's you know you you might be innately really talented and you might just find your way you know you you probably will come undone but you you find your way or you might be an absolute workhorse um, you know and you've worked on your game and you're competitive and this that and the other and you go over there and you realise that you don't have the talent you know and you lose your way you know so it's a really it's a really difficult question I think the biggest thing is earning it you know, it's like anything, you know, in, in your situation or as a, as a head coach or as a coach that runs a successful program, have you earned that, you know, have you done that, you know, deliberately or have you, you know, you've done it by accident or you've, have you winged it? You know that. And if you don't know it, ask someone that's an expert in you, your family, uh, you know, your coach, you might have a brother, sister, someone that's significant, someone that will tell it as it is, you know, mm. do, you, do you think that I'm worthy of going to America? No. Or, yeah, hey, be really careful good. though, be careful because we've all, you know, us both, let me not say all, um, have met the support system that's worse deluded than the oh, player yeah. themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We've met the we've met the the mum or the dad that's like, hey coach, yeah. you know, my son should be playing 38 yeah. minutes and he should be starting on the, you know, on the yeah. EYBL team yeah. and you know, yeah. so it's, it's, I think having somebody, I think the experience, knowing someone that's got experience um, and somebody that is able to have the time to kind of mm. 
go into details because as I said, there's, there's, I've, I've met, and I'm sure you have as well. You've got the player, uh, the, the parent that thinks little Johnny is um, amazing and needs to play in the NBA, um, and you're like, mum, you know, I, he struggled to do a left-handed layup last week, so yeah, I don't, but, I don't, yeah. Think... Also, I think there's some measures to quantify talent as well, like you know, the, the Den Camp, for instance. You know, if you're not on the top 50 players in the UK, you're going to be someone that's on people's radar in America. You, you know, what are your numbers? What are you, you know, what is your volume and body of work? You know, putting up, you know, I know that a lot of people talked about this, putting up 35 games or points a game in under 18's conference, you know, for instance, what does that actually equate to? You know, what is your body of work? What does it equate to? How does it transfer? You know, like, and if you're, if you're someone that's really outgrown your, your little pond, then try and get into something bigger. And, bigger, you know, definitely. Bigger, you know, in, in terms of what we have here, you know, go and practice with a Division One team, go and ask to do some workouts with a you know a regional coach or whatever it may be just to give you more understanding as to who yeah. you are yeah 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 um i uh i get messages from certain coaches obviously they know i'm, I'm from the uk and they'll send me a tape and i'll see this kid killing in the uh a um abl and you know you see them play you know the kid might be six two but whoever they're playing is like you know, five five, and they're like, "Hey, coach, is this kid any good?" And I'm like, "Coach, I, I don't know that particular player, <laughs> but he's playing against kids that are five five. That you know, hey, shoelaces untied is, you know what I mean. So just understanding, like, okay, yeah, if you if you're dominating in a certain area, don't be don't sell, don't be happy to just dominate in your and I'm not saying that the the ABL doesn't have good teams or whatever I'm just saying that you look at the competition that you're playing against um you know there's a BBL team almost everywhere or you know within striking distance hey can you go and train or you know tr practice with a BBL team you know you don't it doesn't mean that you're going to join the roster and get minutes or whatever. like just go and practice do you know what I mean so yeah, yeah so, so that that highlights the situation is really yeah that's that's a big one like watch I, mean, I always say to the guys I'm like don't watch sometimes don't watch the player like what should they're playing against and that is something that a lot of coaches will look for and if you know it's clear when if if you're playing against bad level of competition it is evident it's the first thing that stands out you know oh you're okay I'm a shooter I'm I'm shooting. 50% and uh, you know I mean that's a good number yeah 50% okay and then I'd watch the game tape and you know your, your defenders stood under the ring because they don't know where to stand <laughs> <laughs> every shot is uncontested so we'll be like yeah, yeah. okay yeah. right so you know I could be a 50% shooter there as well and I can't shoot so <laughs> yeah I mean I, yeah I watched in fact I watched the tape yesterday and it was literally um, open shots and drives and stuff like that late help and I'm just like uh, I mean, and 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 like exactly this, like I can hear it in my head. Exactly this is the reason why they will say, "Coach, you're a hater." Mm. Like, oh yeah, but I made the shot. Yeah, but no one was guarding you. Yeah, but you're a hater. Like, no, like just trying to put it in perspective because if I'm gonna spend two hundred grand on your on your scholarship, and I know you're gonna be in a crowded arena post COVID, <laughs> you're gonna be in a crowded arena. And there's going to be a guy six eight eleven uh, 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 six eight with a seven foot wingspan, like charging at you, and you're on the road. 
is a lot different than you being in a gym with no fans or, you know, your mum and your sister sitting in the corner and you having a wide open three. Like it's night and day difference. Yeah, so exactly. Um, and that's why, you know, you need to know the level that you're pitching towards. You know, you need to be familiar with it. And, you know, like there might be a situation for that person that they can go into, but the chances are that they might have to pay for it. You know, it might be one of the academy situations where they're going to get a great experience. You know, there's, like I said, there is a route for, for guys like that for sure, but you need to understand what you're trying to aim towards. Mm. You know, that's really important. Um, we kind of touched on it already, so we don't really have to stay here long, but just a definitive line, I guess, in how important is education? Critical. Like, just <laughs> critical. <laughs> Without the academic profile, you are struggling. So, yeah. <laughs> critical. Uh, you want to be a, you want to be a, I mean, everyone says it, doesn't it? It's the, the old classic cliche. Student comes before athlete and all that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> to drop it again. So, you're a student, you're a student first. You're a student so. before athlete. So, it's, yeah. yeah, it's true. Um, here's, a, here's a question that I'm interested to know your view on. Um, would you choose a better basketball school over an academic school or vice versa? If you was, you know, send it, young Jack, Jack's of age and he's like, dad, I've got, you know, um, Harvard's, you know, obviously they don't do um, athletic scholarships, but you go, dad, I, you know, I've got great grades, I can get into Harvard or I can go to Duke and play for, or Coach K would, I would imagine would be retired by then, but you know, I can play for Duke and Coach K, what would you advise him? Depends on the situation. Like it's, you know, that it really depends on the situation and, uh that individual it's uh, again it's you do your homework do your due diligence you know what is the outcome for this you know you, you harvard might be a great opportunity for you to play a lot more than duke and you get the education alongside with it or you might want to give it a go at duke because it's duke you know you, like it's it's really depends on what the situation is and that person i think you know i've been in that situation uh, with players, you know, where they've had Ivy League schools that have come in that are interested in them, you know, and obviously the academic package is you know, world class, um, but they made a basketball decision. And I know that there's others in similar situations that have decided to make the academic decision. So it really depends on the individual, um, you know, and, and I, I, I would feel, you know, there's no way that you could pick either based on, you know, that question i think if you're asking me predominantly for for my little boy it would be um i would weigh it up do my you know i'd obviously number one i would I, I, from a from a basketball perspective I, basketball is what would drive the decision to go to duke obviously but mm -hmm. you're still going to harvard based for your basketball there's still like the element of basketball so you'd want to know yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly what the situation is from a basketball perspective if you were a five-star recruit and you were going to play multiple minutes at Duke and the potential was that you were going to become an NBA player, then there isn't much warrant in going to Harvard. You know, you're going to go there to Duke for one year, two years or whatever, and you're going to go and make the mega money in the NBA. You know, I think if that's the pitch and the level that someone's going for, and if they're going to become a professional player, then, you know, that's the route that you would go down versus someone that isn't as talented, that, you know, is a very high academic, then obviously Harvard would probably be a better option because they get a chance to play more and they would get a world-class, you know, education, you know, that could project them into, you know, obviously a fantastic career. So, yeah, and I think the other thing about that, that is that if the basketball, you know, if they got, you know, someone in that situation directly, if they were that good at basketball 
and they wanted the education via Harvard, they still have that extra year on top of it as a grad transfer. So they could potentially complete their academic course with Harvard and finish with that, you know, that, that qualification degree. And if they still have that itch and they've become, you know, this, you know, they've, their stock has gone and rose and rose and rose, then could you not look for the, you know, the grad transfer route? And, you know, schools are quite, you know, partial to a very, very good grad transfer. So, you know, is that something that you could do as well? So, yeah, that's my, uh, my thought. I had, I hadn't, that I hadn't thought about the grad transfer. Um, but yeah, as you said, that that's a possibility. Um, that's an interesting concept. I've never thought about that. You know, if you go and do your, especially, you know, there's a lot of kids that do their semesters really smart. So, you know, they'll do summer classes, they'll take on an extra class as well. And even though the standard um, in the States here is um, four years to do your bachelor's, I mean, if you can do your bachelor's in three years and then, you know, grad transfer, then yeah, why not? Um, yeah. All right, so a little something for the coaches. Got a couple of questions here for the coaches. Um, how, can, how can a coach aid the development of their players uh, that want to go to the States? Wow. <laughs> how, how, how long do you want to give me on that? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I th and, and we're talking, are you, oh, again, are we talking about British players? Yeah, yeah, yeah. European, oh, British, Europe, yeah, British. Well, Europe. well, I mean, we coach British players, so, well. Oh, I coach British players, you know, exposure, you know, exposure, and then a little bit more exposure. And exposure is more in, you know, you've got to create a culture and environment for them to go and experience. So, you know, deliberate practice in terms of coaching someone quite hard, you know, like not, you know, putting them in a situation that they might be in in America. And this isn't like, you know, you have the horror stories of kids being like bullied and stuff through, you know, that whole process. It's not about that. It's about having a high expectation, you know, working them, you know, making sure that, for instance, if they're going into a screen and they're walking into a screen, you know, that isn't the expectation or, you know, the situation that would happen in America typically, especially in a practice environment, you know, they're splint, you know, in game, tran translating, sprinting into a screen from practice to a game isn't necessarily realistic yeah. but in practice you're sprinting to the screen you're hitting your reps hard technically you're doing them efficiently etc etc expose them to that within your practice so that needs to be quite deliberate if you have the opportunity to play against faster bigger stronger players your team or your individuals you need to make sure that you set that up obviously we've taken that to the extreme and taken our kids you know off, off, the, off the island and, and abroad and that's really helped to understand the game, you know, on a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, varying those experiences is really important. Setting them potentially like homework to watch games and, you know, study people. And like I said about the practice footage, get practice footage. I, I used to, you know, a few years ago, and I still do it now a little bit, is actually show a full practice, you know, so you're doing a video session, show a full division one level practice. What are the differences? What do you see? You know, how does it look, what, you know, what are you noticing? How is that different to what you do? So just trying to expose them in as many different ways as possible, I think is really important. Aside from that, you know, if, you've, if you have the means to do it, obviously trying to get them into that situation. You know, we've tried to push European basketball. So that's something that, we've, that we actively play. If you really are adamant for your, your kid to go and play in America, 
I think you need to understand that system and the situation over there. So can you get yourself to a final four? Can you get yourself over there on a, on a little visit to go and see kind of what the grind is? Are you communicating with coaches that are in the know? Have you had conversations with players that have been through the grind? Do you understand what it is? So, you know, that I think is, you know, obviously vitally important. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, love it. Great answer. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say. I mean, that was yeah. Um, I I do love the fact, and I guess us as as coaches, we always, I think the basic um, to aid development is getting them to play against better guys. I think that's fundamentally, you know, uh, kind of like what we just touched about uh, touched on is, hey, can you get them playing in a bit, especially if they're the best, you know, if they're dominating in practice and you know their head swells a little bit and big fish and f big fish in a fishbowl not even a pond mm. um you like hey right we're gonna go and play with this division one team here and oh we're gonna go play with this bbl team or all right, i'm gonna have a, a a pro come and work work with you like you know gonna do one-on-one -on -one stuff so i think that really does accelerate and it puts into perspective for the individual oh man i still got a long way to go i still got you know some stuff to do so yeah definitely um as a coach you know if you're you know you're trying to coach this player you want this player to go to the states or you think he's a um, player that's going to the states should you focus on that player predominantly during the practices and games so obviously you've got um let's say uh callum Lowe, you know you, you going to the states and it's kind of hard where you got multiple guys but let's say you're a smaller club and you've got one or two guys should you solely predominantly focus on that individual in practice and games no not not really no i don't, I don't think so i think that you um you don't no, I think you need to remember that you're coaching a, a group of individuals and, you know, basketball isn't uh, isn't just an individual sport. So that group is something that needs to be really, you, know, you need to make sure that you don't forget about that. I think some places, you know, you can automatically lean on someone with a lot of talent and, you know, naturally they're going to get, a, you know, they're going to be the focal point of the team, for instance. But within your practice, you shouldn't be biased towards that player, I don't think. I think that... Aside from that, you're able to set different expectations for them, you know, and I think that's important. And it isn't, no, basketball isn't, and like with many team sports, all team sports, it's not equal opportunity, um, you know, and you should still stretch and challenge that that one individual. You know, you should be expecting more of them because they have high expectations of themselves. But I don't think that you should just make that person the pure focus of everything that you're doing. That's not a way to build a dynasty. That's, uh, no. <laughs> As someone with a dynasty, I, yeah, I'd definitely take that on board. Um, okay, so obviously not now, um, not for you right now, because you know, you're a big deal. Um, you know what I mean? You are transcendent on British basketball, but as a young coach coming in, uh, what's the best way to contact a college coach? You know, I'm, I'm new in the game. I've got this kid who I think, hey, I, I think he could be a really good college player. How can I contact a coach to be like, hey, check him out? I think nowadays, uh, social media is probably, you know, one of the best forums, particularly through Twitter. 
So again, like, you know, be ready and prepared, you know, like if you're, and that's a lot of young coaches work through Twitter now as well. And obviously a lot, of, you know, a lot, a lot of coaches make themselves accessible. I think emails, it's a little bit easier to, um, to duck an email. Whereas on Twitter, I think if you, you know, if you send them a, you know, a tweet or whatever, I think that's, you know, it's quite evident if it's replied to, you know, you want to maintain a good relationship and a good public image as well on Twitter, I think. Obviously, you know, if you're, it's a coach K or Calipari, he's not going to get back to all your messages. But I see him at Calipari struggling to get on a, a bus for six hours. I think that was the, the latest <laughs> one. Yeah. Like, so these, some of those guys are not necessarily, in, you know, that's not the route, right route. You're not going to get to them. Mm -hmm. um, but if you know of an assistant or someone or, you know, someone with a tedious link or whatever that you can get to via social media, maybe that's a way. But then be prepared with your profile. You know, you've got your academic stuff, you've got your basketball profile. Be prepared to give all that information because, oh yeah, I've got a player. Okay, send me some game tape. Oh, I haven't got game tape. <laughs> okay, all right then. Well, we'll talk when you got game tape. <laughs> no, it's gone, it's been and gone. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I know this kid. I know. Okay, tell me about him. <laughs> yeah. He's really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, have a great day, coach. <laughs> um, uh, what's the worst thing a coach can do for a player um, that wants to go and play college ball? Um, not look them straight in the eye and, uh, you know, and, and protect them too much. I think sometimes, and I actually, here's one for you. The worst thing a coach can do is be held hostage to a player's dreams. And what I mean by that is, if realistically you know as a coach, that that isn't going to be attainable. The worst thing you can do is not front it and tell it and build a different direction for that player. Don't allow a player to hold you hostage. That's that's my uh, my advice. That's, so uh, yeah. I'll give you an example. So, for instance, if you had someone that you knew that you know you didn't want to break their dream, you didn't break their heart, and you know you're. How do you deal with that? You know, but then what starts happening is you start to think about them quite a lot as a coach and you start to maybe give them, you know, oh, I need to get him into that game. I need to make sure he's playing here. I need to do that. And you start to focus all of your attention, um, you know, on that one person and you're held hostage by that person. And uh, I think that's the worst, you know, the worst thing that a coach can do. Do you know, I, I... <laughs> The kids that aren't, or the players that aren't really, um, that don't have no uh, interpersonal skills, the kids that are kind of like arrogant or whatever, those kids I, I have no problems with. But when you have a kid who's like, they're genuinely working hard, they want to get in the gym every day. And, um, you know, they're pushing for the stream. And even though you've told them like, hey, um, I don't think you're going to be the starting guard for, North Carolina, and they're like, you know, up oh, our work, and they're working, and they're, you know, they're just genuinely nice kids. I think that for me, anyway, I think that's sometimes I can be like, man, I want him to do well. I want him to have a good game. I want him to, you know, um, I, the the talented ones that you know walk around like their their uh, their feces doesn't stink. Those are what I'm like, oh man, take you know, take a seat. I don't I don't mind. But the ones that are genuinely good kids um, that, you know, you can see them working. That's, I think it's just innate that we kind of want to do more for those guys. So 
um, yeah, definitely not getting held hostage. And um, kind of like the, to the previous question, understanding that there's more, like, you know, it's not just the one kid, it's, there's more players. So if you have uh, an opportunity to do more for them in a, in a game or a situation, great, especially if they respond and do well. But on the other side of the coin, don't dwell on it because, hey, you know, there's other guys that also need developing and pushing and all the rest of it. So, yeah, um, yeah completely agree with you there. And just a quick one, I like it, you know, that it's about in that situation as a coach, having an educational package that you can instill on that player to say, look, this, it's not about, you know, the dream crushing. It's about, make, you know, making sure that there's routes and exits yeah. and, be, and that person can see, you know, through the smoke. And, uh, you know, that's really important. Definitely. Um, would you say that, okay. <laughs> would you say that the objective of a good coach slash program should be to send a player to the States? No, no. That's an outcome for certain, for some people. You know, the, we talked about the success of other people that haven't gone to play basketball at the highest level before. That mm. is a success within a program. A program is there to enable someone to become successful in their own right. Mm. You know, if that's getting a scholarship in America, that's getting a scholarship in America. If that's growing your confidence, so you're able to get a job, you know, stacking shelves, you know, that's what it is. If that's taking you away from a situation that you've been in to grow your confidence, to help you with your maturity, to allow you to be employable, then that's what it is. So, you know, we are, we are uh, investors in people, um, you know, not in basketball players. And, you know, that's as educators and as coaches, that's our duty to uh, to do that. Now, some outcomes are different to others, but all we're looking for is for that person, you know, to be successful under our parameters. That's it. That that sounded like you practiced that. That was pretty. That was uh, pretty good. <laughs> it's an easy question. <laughs> that was pretty good. I think I think you should run for mayor uh, after that one. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, last couple of questions. Um, your views on college basketball. Um, what's your views on the different levels of college basketball? Um, junior college has a reputation, I think, of being bad or for, for guys that, that are, I don't want to say dumb, but for guys that aren't academically smart. Um, and, you know, as most pe players feel, or we've had interactions with players, um, they feel like they're failures if they don't go division one. So what's your views on the different levels? Um, like the, the level has to be applicable to the player to start with. And, you know, that situation could be dictated by academics or, you know, whatever it could be dictated by a number of things. Cost, you know, scholarship availability, you know, positional availability, whatever. Like, you know, I don't think you can't... Um, if someone expresses a genuine interest in you at any level, you need to take them up on it and explore it and respect their interest. That's the number one thing. I think when it actually comes to choosing and picking a level, for me, the the level obviously dependent on what the person is. So, for instance, there are you know junior college players. There's different levels of junior college. You know, there's different areas of junior college. There's different levels of Division One. You know, like there's the, the levels are all kind of all over the place. For me, the fit is based around the people that are recruiting you. You know, that that is one of the most that is probably the most critical thing to me is making sure that our players 
are going to someone that is going to continue to develop them holistically as a person, as a you know, and not just focusing on them being a piece of meat as a basketball player. You know, that's the most critical thing. So, does the level matter? Well, one thing you have to take into consideration as a British player, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about the schools that are literally in the middle of nowhere that will take anyone. I'm talking about you know, like reputable schools. You know, you know, at any level, if you've got a decent reputation, you do stuff by the book. Um, the biggest thing that you have to bear in mind is they're coming from uh, school sports all over here to uh, you know the American Arena. system exactly. So no matter how you look at it, it's a it's a you know you're improving and increasing what you're used to. Like no matter how you look at it, mm. so you know that's you know. But then what is the most important thing on top of that is the people that you're going to because those are the people that are going to be. Doesn't matter what sports or what ring you shoot on or how many people are watching. It really matters about who that person is that's going to be developing you and what stuff they have around them. You know that's going to help with that process. You know, I I I I always insist with our better you know not our better players, but a lot of our players that have to have a conversation with a head coach. Mm. You know, I, I want to know. I don't want to just be, you know, the, the middleman of the assistant. And it's no no offense to the assistant coach because they obviously preach a certain line and you know that they they do a fantastic job. But ultimately, the head coach is the one that makes the decision about that player. And I think it's important that you have an understanding as to what that person is like, because that dictates the culture of a program. So, you know, like, like I said, going back on that point, level for me is not important. Level is, you know, level is what a level is in terms of where you are as a player and what you are academically. But the most critical thing is who is recruiting you and who you are going to. Definitely, and and you know, you made a point there of the the speaking to the head coach. Um, and for me, it, you have to speak to the head coach, not as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm the associate head coach here and all the rest of it. And I always encourage my guys, you know, um, or anyone that's coming in via, you know, anyone that's contacted me, hey, you know, let's talk to our head coach because there might be a situation where you're not, like you, you don't know, you don't have a vibe for him. So if he's shouting at you in practice, you're like, oh, I don't even know this dude. Well, I, I don't even like. I don't like the way. He, I don't like the way he pronounces his P's. So I'm. I'm. I'm going. You know what I mean? I'm. I'm tired of this guy already. So yeah, you've got to have a, a. And then vice versa as well. Like if you're coming in and you've got some, you know, some quirks, let's say, and he's like, man, he's, he's mad disrespectful. And you're like, well, it's just me. That's like just what I do. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah, it definitely needs to. Um, you know, have that relationship with everyone before you go. And, um, you know, even on the junior junior college point is like, there's talented players that go to junior college that's got grades. Um, you know, we've just sent one of our guys here from uh, from Manal to um, the College of Southern, Southern Idaho. Um, and he's a 3.4 GPA average kid. But, you know, he needs a year of developing against college players and all the rest of it. So he needs to go. Do you know what I mean? Like his grades are good enough to go play D1, but his experience wise, um, or just uh, just being able to get bigger looks. So um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, as you said, the fit. So definitely. Um, as a, and I'd say professional coach, you know, when you was coaching the spinners and stuff, um, as a professional coach who is able to recruit college graduates, how often do you recruit British players 
or did you recruit British players? Um, and are those players that come back from college, are they stand out in the league or were they stand out in the league, let's say? And dealing with your time in the BBL as well. Yeah, like we, it wasn't, you know, even through uh, when I was Division One and stuff, it wasn't something that we built our program around. You know, that wasn't that wasn't where it was. I think the thing is that I, I what I would generalize this against is like the players that we have had that have come back to the BBL, for instance, or like into the professional yes, league. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't I don't think as of yet that they've been standout players within that league. You know, the league is dominated by, you know, that there is there is standout British players in the BBL, you know that. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's standout, you know, the league MVP for a number of years, you know, over the last few years has been dominated That's by cool. a British player, you know. And you've got, you know, Ashley Hamilton, you know, for sure is you know one of the premier players in that league, but the league is dominated by the Americans. You know, that's you know how the league is dominated. And I take, you know, even if you look at someone like Josh McSwiggan and stuff like that, you know, obviously a standout British player, but he isn't, you know, he, I wouldn't say at this point he isn't dominating the BBL. He might develop into that. Um, I think it takes quite a few years for British players to find their rhythm and comfort within the BBL and start to dominate it. Um, you know, that's that's my opinion on it. So actually graduating out of, high, out of, out of college, um, I would say in general, I, I haven't seen that. Um, you know, I haven't seen that within the BBL with a lot, you know, many of the guys that have come back from, from the collegiate system directly into the BBL, I haven't seen it. Um, so, you know, there's obviously some work to be done there. Okay. Um, does an extremely talented player, does an, an elite player, phenomenal talent, um, have to go to the States to be successful? No, 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 that is just, no. Depends again, it comes back down to fit, doesn't it? Like, you know, fit and skill set and, you know, Mate is, is, is one that was, you know, very talented for us and the way he came through. He was top 50 player in Europe to basketball without borders. Amari Williams was, a, you know, a guy that went to basketball without borders and went to the camp over there in Atlanta as well. So I'd classify those as extremely talented within that age group, especially at that year, the years that they were with us. Mate had an offer through, through Milan. Um, Amari was, you know, we'd spoken to Mega Bmax about him as well. He decided that America was the route for him, but, you know, time will tell whether or not that was the, the right decision. I think one of the biggest things with British players and making the jump into Europe at a younger age is, you know, maybe the, the difference in culture and language. Jeremy mm -hmm. Sochan is one, obviously, you know, he's over there in Germany now, has been through, you know, he's probably the best place to give you that answer. Um, you know, he's someone that's that's done it. There's been other guys that have gone to a to, to Europe that haven't lasted and that have come back. Um, you know, I, even if you go back a while now, we had Miles Miles Hessen, for instance, when he was with uh, Essex um, was a Pirates, then obviously came to us at Mersey Tigers, and then went and played Pro B in Germany. You know, and pro progressed through into the BBL in, in Germany, and then. Now he's over there in France, so you know, and he would—you'd argue that he's probably a, a you know top five player, you know, for Great Britain at this point. So, and he had no collegiate experience. So, no is the answer to the question. You know, <laughs> where, wherever is the right fit that you know for that player is that's that's the right fit. And I, I think that's a, an imp an important question because some of these guys are like D one or bust, America or bust. Do you know what I mean, and it's like, hey, there's there's other avenues. Um, so yeah, do your do your research. Um, 
can you give me the negatives of going to play uh, basketball in America? Um, I mean, <laughs> where, where do you I mean? Let, let, where do you start? <laughs> it's the same with anything, though, isn't it? Like you know, you can take it. it that's a really it's, it's a difficult question um, because you don't, number one a negative. Let's right, okay. Let's talk about some of the things that will determine what a negative could be. It's a long. It's could you know potentially you're a long way away from home, and you know you could you don't know exactly how you're going to react when you're put into that situation. Until you know that, you don't know what's going to happen. So, could it hit on your confidence? It could. You know a lot of hypotheticals. You know could the coach play you out of position and take away what you've built? You know to put you in that situation. Yes. Could you end up sitting on the bench? Yes. You know might you not have the resilience to deal with being sat on the bench in your freshman year? Yes. Might you not be able to deal with the pressure of the Division One basketball? Yes. You know, like, so there's a lot of things that could go wrong, but, you know, that's why, you know, there's a premium on doing it. It's a unique experience and it's situation, um, you know, and it's, it's something that not everyone can do, you know, so you've got to, you know, you've got to be able to cut your teeth with it a little bit and, and be ready for that. But it's the same with anything. You know, there's a lot of negatives of going into work every day. <laughs> could be, there could be a negative with going to the shop, for instance. You know, I might get there and they might not have what I want. So, you know, it's it's one of those, like, I think, as you know, as long as you, you're prepared mentally for what all these little things and you've you've gone through it, you might, you, you should be in a position to deal with that. But the clear standout negative is that, you know, it's a long way away from home. But once you adjust and settle in and, you know, you see out that first couple of weeks or months, then, you know, you should be good to go. Um, a negative, um, one of the coaches that I've had on here, I'm trying to remember who exactly said it. Um, but one of the coaches said that because America is such a, um, or college basketball, sorry, um, is such a structured system, sometimes you know the negative can be seen as taking players away from their game you know it, like everyone's got a specific role um especially the higher you go um it's about hey your job is a two guard you don't dribble the ball your job is a, a five man is you don't leave the paint your job is a um and that can be a negative in terms of you know a player's growth development blah blah, yeah. blah or even enjoyment yeah. um, that that can be perceived as a negative I'd, I'd say as well the one other thing on top of that you'd hope that you got your fit right and you've gone through your you've done your homework on what the coach's integrity is like in that situation because they're going to sell it to you like you're going to be able to do all that stuff so you know that could be another thing that really factors in is that you know that you want to be in a situation where you trust the guys that you're going into to develop you like i said you know how many times do you know where you know a player has gone to a coach and the coach has like you know frozen them out and made the experience terrible for them i, I think as well like the the, co the coach in gen in general i don't i really don't believe it's exponentially better than what kids will get at the top level programs over here um you know i don't i can't hear some stories for instance of you know three hour practices and you know this that and the other and you know like on, on concrete floors and stuff like that like actually you might have this perception that it's going to be you know all, all singing all dancing all new all this that and the other but actually you might go into a, an old school coach that has old school habits and before you know it you, you're you know you're broken and I, I've seen that like uh, you know I have seen that don't you know 
I think people should be thankful for what they have really as well like over here you know and with the situations that people I think you should be thankful you probably don't appreciate that until you're out of that situation as well so yes yeah. and you don't realise it until you know yeah. um, kind of like our, our, our first our first set of co- cohorts are like life was so much easier I got up and just balled you know when we just had blue court do you know what I mean like life was amazing and then now they're like oh man now somewhere else where I don't have access or whatever so definitely enjoy um where you're at because you never know um you never know where where life might take you um okay so uh, ultimate question last question is what advice would you give to someone between the ages of 14 and I got 18 but let's say 17 uh, that's their ambition and dream that wants to play in the states what would you say to them um, do your homework, do your research, um, be realistic and try and better yourself in terms of, you know, what you're doing. And ultimately it's, we keep going back to that kind of concept of the body of work, make sure that you invest time in that process and you fall in love with the process. Don't just fall in love with the idea of it, you know, fall in love with what the actual, you know, the process means and, you know, all the grind that you're going to have to put in. I think a lot of people now fall in love with the idea and they don't. You know, they don't love the work and mm. uh, that's something that you need to you know find a love for very very quickly and be honest with yourself you know that's uh, that's the other thing take a hard look in the mirror and make sure that you surround yourself with people that give you those honest reflections and look straight in the eye and look you straight in the eye um you know and, and uh, that hold you accountable to that ambition that you have Perfect. Um, that was nice. I'm, I'm sure you've been practicing these these responses, man. <laughs> I'm sure. This is all podcasts. <laughs> See, I, hey, I told you when you're the most most. Uh, I'm not having it. I'm not, look, don't don't let me start again. Listen, you. This, uh, yeah. I've just been I've just been around. You're the most decorated. You know, get out of here. You got more. You got more a higher level national titles than me, mate. <laughs> I told you it was an accident, man. I just, I just turned up. I, 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 went, I went down as a spectator and then ended up on the bench. No, you, yeah, because you <laughs> and you have a hundred percent winning record in BBL. So at Worcester, <laughs> at Worcester, I believe, and you're a national team coach. So give me a break. Snuck that one in. Snuck that yeah, one in. Exactly. Just, just got there. But um, <laughs> hey, Hoppo, it's been amazing hanging out with you. Um, I feel like. Like without minus the show, man, we should have done one of these ages ago, man. Just catch up and uh, yeah, hang out. Right. Um, but yeah, right. definitely, 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 we'll have, we'll have we'll definitely have to have more of these, and um, especially for the guys at the program. I hope that you know uh, some of this content, you know, you're sharing with them or telling them to go and watch and stuff. I am gonna try over the holiday period. I'm not making any promises. I'm gonna try and get the start getting them on. Spotify and audio because um, it is kind of I know it's tough to kind of watch um, the YouTube videos when, tough to watch you <laughs> watching me for, for, for a solid 40 minutes to an hour um, but yeah I know everyone's busy and driving and doing stuff but I think the content is good and um, what a lot of the especially the season one the players that come about some of the stories that I've heard um, from being recruited de-recruited um, their living situations where they are and the, you know what states are good in terms of what what they connect with 
um, is, I think is invaluable um, and stuff like that. They need to understand like, hey, if it's minus 20 degrees outside, are you going to get up and go to class with no one chasing you? Do you know what I mean? Like, are you, or if you get easily distracted, is going to Atlanta the best place for you to go? Do you know what I mean? Like, or going to California? I don't think so, but they don't understand that. They just go, oh yeah, scholarship, oh, if I go. I'm like, no, there's a lot more to it. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, hey, I, I don't know if I'd be willing to send my son to, New York, if he's a, a party animal or socialite, do you know what I mean, and send him into the middle of New York when I know he's probably not going to focus on what he's there for. So, um, yeah, there's a lot more that goes to it. No, I really appreciate it. What you're doing is fantastic. Great resource. It's been great to see some of the guys, you know, even Kiko on there as well. Like, you know, it's been really good. But more more than anything, it's great to see you doing it. And uh, like I said, the, the uh, the the shoe needs to be on the other foot and you need to be answering some of these questions so you know let me know if, uh, if you want me and a consortium of people to do that i'm sure it can be arranged <laughs> i uh well i did the um i did the skull podcast yeah i know but we need you on more wow man I'm, I'm i'm as i said i'm just i'm out i'm out here in the shadows man just moving in silence quietly no, no, you know. No, you need to you need to be on it. <laughs> Quietly in the shadows, just minding my business, man. Trying to help, trying to help all these. Uh, trying to be a great investor of people, as as someone once said. <laughs> Doctor Dimes. Yeah. Hi, my name's Neil Hopkins. You've been listening to the Eurostepping podcast. Do what D says. Appreciate you watching the Eurostepping. I want to thank everybody for watching Eurostepping. Watching the Euro stepping. The Euro stepping. The Euro stepping. You've been watching the Euro stepping. The Euro stepping. The Euro stepping. You've been watching the Euro stepping, a great podcast show hosted by Coach D.